Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. If you are new to Southern Mysteries, this is an independent historical true crime and mystery podcast. Thanks to passionate fans who support the show on Patreon, I get to share stories from different Southern states and try to dive in to share stories you may not have heard or share a unique take on the more popular historical true crimes. When you join Patreon, you can access the show archive of more than 60 episodes. Plus, you can support at a level where you access Patreon-exclusive episodes, including this year's patron podcast called Audacious, Tales of American Crimes. Today's episode is one of the most popular episodes I've released, an episode from the Southern Mysteries Archive that was originally featured in January 2020. If you want to hear all the episodes from the early years of the show, learn more about supporting Southern Mysteries, and join me on Patreon today at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. Between the 1830s and 1850s, Elizabeth Dale married six times. Each husband died following a mysterious illness. When a neighbor claimed Elizabeth was poisoning her husband's, referred to her bridal chamber as the home of six skeletons, he learned the hard way that questioning Elizabeth could be a dangerous game. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the widow of Hazel Green, Alabama. Hazel Green, Alabama is just a few miles south of the Tennessee state line. Incorporated in 1821, its earliest settlers were wealthy planters, families from Virginia, the Carolinas, and Tennessee. If you pay close attention when you drive just east of Hazel Green, you'll notice a little dirt road near the corner of Jimmy Fisk and Joe Quick Road. The remains of a once grand mansion are here. Just a little bit of foundation, and nearby, a few broken slabs of concrete from graves of those connected to what's commonly called the Route Mansion. Folks who grew up around Hazel Green will tell you that even after that old mansion burned down, they heard stories that caused them to be afraid to even drive past the old mansion near Joe Quick Road. They felt ill at ease because of one woman, Elizabeth Evans, Dale Gibbons, Flanagan Jeffries, High Brown Route. Yep, that's a mouthful, but Elizabeth liked to get married. The question is, did six of her husbands die of natural causes? Or was Elizabeth's neighbor correct when he claimed that Elizabeth was a woman around whose marriage couch six grinning skeletons were hung? Elizabeth Evans Dale was born in Worcester County, Maryland, on October 28, 1739, the third of 10 children born to Adam and Polly Dale. Adam Dale was an aristocrat, a descendant of Lord Baltimore and Cecil Calvert. His letters detailing his family tell of their decision to come to the New World in the pursuit of religious freedom. He loved his country, and he was a respected war veteran, having served as a volunteer revolutionary soldier at the age of 15. He joined a company of 14 to 16-year-old boys who raised their own regiment in Snow Hill, Maryland in 1781. 
They served in an effort to oppose the progress of British General Charles Cornwallis's push through Virginia. Adam Dale was a natural-born leader. He took risk, including his decision in 1797 to move his family to Tennessee for a change of scenery, a fresh start. He received land grants for his military service and established the town of Liberty, Tennessee, the oldest town in DeKalb County. Dale built a water-powered mill on Smith Fort Creek to grind corn for settlers who followed him to Liberty. They followed him because he was a convincing man. He had undertaken a two-year letter-writing campaign to friends and family in Maryland, persuading 40 of them to move to Liberty and begin a new life. Dale would again lead soldiers into battle during the War of 1812, raising a company of Tennessee volunteers to fight at Horseshoe Bend under the command of General Andrew Jackson. In 1829, Dale moved his family to Columbia, Tennessee, where he and his wife Polly would remain until 1850. That's the year they went to stay with their daughter Elizabeth in Hazel Green, Alabama. A year later, Adam Dale died in Hazel Green. His death would become part of the legend and questions surrounding Elizabeth Dale's life. Elizabeth's status as a member of a wealthy aristocratic family meant she wanted for nothing. She was well-educated and surrounded by everything she desired, from fine clothes to expensive jewelry. If she wanted something, she asked her father, and he made sure she had it. Elizabeth's beauty, her wits, and fine breeding made men take notice. By the time she was 18, she was known as a woman of charm and grace with her long auburn hair, creamy complexion, and dark brown eyes. Many men desired her attention and affection, but it would be a 20-year-old Baptist preacher who would profess his love and propose to the 18-year-old. Elizabeth accepted and married Samuel Gibbons on November 19th of 1812 in their hometown of Liberty, Tennessee. In early July of 1830, the 37-year-old reverend became ill. Doctors told the family it appeared he may have yellow fever, but they questioned it. By July 14th, Samuel Gibbons was dead. Following Samuel's death, Elizabeth moved to Columbia, Tennessee to stay with family. During her mourning period, she stayed in the home of her brother, Edward Dale. Edward entertained many wealthy friends and introduced Elizabeth to a plantation owner, Philip Flanagan. We don't know much about Mr. Flanagan, and it seems Elizabeth wouldn't have time to really get to know the man she married on October 3rd, 1831, because five months after the wedding, Flanagan was struck down by what family and friends called a strange illness. He died on March 14th. Of 1832. Elizabeth once again stayed with family during her mourning period. A widower in Columbia, Mr. Alexander Jeffries, called on her to express his condolences. The 60 year old took a liking to 38 year old Elizabeth Dale, who was as beautiful and charming as ever. And Elizabeth took a liking to Jeffries and his money. Jeffries was a wealthy man 
a plantation owner with land in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Alabama. The Jeffries Plantation in Hazel Green was known for the large log house he had built there. Through the years, there had been suggestions that the home was built on an Indian mound. That claim is backed up by records from the Alabama Historical Commission. The mounds were built from a variety of materials. They were all built by hand. No animals or machinery helped carry the loads of soil, clay, or stones used to build them. Some of the mounds have been preserved as historic and educational sites. Those who visit learned that the mounds were intentional structures. They were public architecture. Whether ceremonial or burial, the mound served a purpose for the mound builders. They remained sacred. Maybe it was Alexander Jeffrey's intentional lack of respect and his disregard for the sacred space that added to the insult. Maybe added to the curse that seemed to fall on this house and its inhabitants. The sacred mound of Hazel Green became the foundation of Jeffrey's home because Jeffries wanted the home elevated so he could look out over his property from inside his house. Once the home was built, he ordered his fields to be cleared and cotton planted, along with enslaved men and women, to work the 500-acre plantation. Alexander Jeffries would return to Tennessee and ask Elizabeth Dell Gibbons Flanagan to marry him. He offered his grand home in Hazel Green, as encouragement and security for her. Elizabeth agreed, and the two were married on November 6, 1833. Elizabeth and Alexander Jeffries would have two children, their son, William Alexander, born in 1834, and daughter, Mary Elizabeth, born in 1837. On September 14, 1838, Alexander Jeffries was found dead near a barn on the plantation. The exact cause of death remains unknown. His obituary mentioned only a strange illness that caused his body to swell and his nails to appear yellow, signs that could point to arsenic poisoning. Jeffries was buried the day he died, laid to rest in a cemetery on the grounds of the plantation in Hazel Green. Now, it should be noted at this point that people around Elizabeth were wondering if something was a little off. Within eight years, Elizabeth had been widowed three times. But when Alexander Jeffrey's will was filed in 1838, it was clear that the 65-year-old knew he was not in good health, but he was of sound mind when he left the plantation and operation of it to Elizabeth. For all that's been said of Elizabeth's fine breeding, her charm, and her beauty, when it came to the plantation and the enslaved men and women she was listed as owning in her husband's will, she extended no grace or kindness to them, was said to terrorize them with her anger and demands. They saw a different side of the widow of Hazel Green, and they had their own suspicions that the men she married weren't dying of natural causes. Less than a year after Alexander Jeffries died, Elizabeth met Robert High, whose term in the state legislature was coming to an end in 1839. Elizabeth was still considered a great beauty 
and a fine prospect for any man wishing to marry. William Garrett wrote the following description of Robert High in his book, Public Men in Alabama. He was a dashing widower, seeking his fourth wife. His head was a little bald, which fact he took great pains to conceal. He filled a large space in society and succeeded in marrying before his term of office expired. That marriage came on May 15th of 1839. Elizabeth became Elizabeth Dale Gibbons Flanagan Jeffries High. The match seemed perfect for Elizabeth, who was now in complete control of a growing plantation in Hazel Green. Marrying a wealthy politician meant entertaining wealthy and highly respected friends and colleagues of her new husband. The perfect excuse to spend Robert High's money when she redecorated the mansion. Elizabeth made a controversial and even by the standards of 1840s Alabama, rather insensitive change in their home. Knowing that more guests would be coming to their mansion for political parties and such, Elizabeth decided to expand the home and call it Round Mound Inn. What was considered a tasteless reference to the Indian mound her mansion was constructed on. An aging Elizabeth made it clear that she lacked the charm and class of her youth and had become a woman consumed with material things. A woman who tired of the decorations in her home so quickly she seemed to be constantly redecorating. It seemed she also tired of her husband's quickly. Less than three years into their marriage, Robert High became ill in April of 1842 and died from what was only called a mysterious illness. Death surrounded Elizabeth, and neighbors wondered if her daughter paid the price for her mother's darkness. On August 13, 1844, just three months before her seventh birthday, Elizabeth's only daughter, Mary Elizabeth, died and was quickly laid to rest in the growing cemetery on the plantation. In 1846, 51-year-old Elizabeth met a wealthy merchant, Absalom Brown. The two were married on March 16th of that year. Elizabeth Dale Gibbons Flanagan Jeffries High Brown was excited that her new husband wanted to invest money in the expansion of the plantation. Elizabeth oversaw the expansion of the home that, once finished, was rather grand. A total of eight bedrooms, two grand staircases, made the L-shaped mansion stand out as one of the finest in the county. She also spent a great amount of time and money on the gardens and walkways around her mansion. The labor, all it took to make these changes, carried out by enslaved men and women on the grounds. All of this wealth and expansion made the mansion in Hazel Green a popular place for parties. Elizabeth loved showing off her home. It's said that parties held on the grounds would go late into the night. Light in the garden was made possible by slaves who were ordered by Elizabeth to hold lanterns by hand for the guest until the party ended. Absalom Brown wouldn't be around long for the parties and grand affairs at the newly expanded mansion. One year into his marriage with Elizabeth, 
He was struck down by an unknown illness and died in 1847. Absalom's death caused neighbors and friends of Mr. Brown to become suspicious. Brown's illness and burial was similar to Elizabeth's previous husband's. He died of an illness that led to a quick death and sudden swelling after death, just as Alexander Jeffries and Robert High. Elizabeth ordered slaves to bury him in the middle of the night. Elizabeth wasn't there for his burial. She simply arranged it when she walked to the slave cottages on the grounds of the plantation, woke up a few men, and ordered that they immediately bury Absalom Brown in the family cemetery. They later described his body as being bloated and very swollen with his tongue having turned thick and black. Slaves and the friends and family of Elizabeth and Absalom Brown took note of one thing in the days following Brown's death. Elizabeth showed no emotion and had not been seen crying or even shown a hint of sadness that she was now a widow for the fifth time. It would seem that once you outlive five husbands, some men would hesitate to get to know you or entertain the idea of becoming husband number six. But find and marry another wealthy man was on Elizabeth's to-do list, and on May 11, 1848, she became Elizabeth Dale Gibbons Flanagan Jeffries High Brown Route when she married Willis Route. Willis was seven years younger than the now 53-year-old Elizabeth. By 1850, Elizabeth's aging parents, Adam and Polly Dale, had left their home in Columbia, Tennessee. They were living with the Routes in their grand mansion in Hazel Green. In the spring of 1851, Adam Dale exchanged letters with a family member who had asked for a record of his war service and details about both sides of their family. He wrote extensively of his wartime service, a treasured family history. In October of 1851, 83-year-old Adam Dale died in Elizabeth's home. Following his burial in the family cemetery on the plantation, his widow, Polly, returned to Columbia, Tennessee, to live in the home of her daughter and son-in-law, Mr. and Mrs. Vaught. This move made people question what had happened to Adam Dale at Hazel Green. Had nature taken its course, or had Adam Dale been murdered? Elizabeth's mother, Polly, made the decision to leave the plantation due to the trouble that surrounded her daughter. It said that Elizabeth's life the sudden and mysterious deaths of her husband, her treatment of the men and women on the plantation, disturbed her mother and led her to a breaking point and a separation from Elizabeth. Years later, she mentioned this to her daughter, Mrs. Vaught, and shared that she felt ill at ease with her husband being buried in the cemetery in Hazel Green, where Elizabeth's husbands had been buried. She felt things seemed off with their deaths, and hasty funerals, including the funeral of Elizabeth's sixth husband, Willis Rout, who died two months after Adam Dale, passing from this world on December 16th, 
1851. Another quick illness and hasty burial of a husband at Hazel Green. Years later, with this uneasy feeling consuming her, Adam Dale's widow, Polly, would arrange for his body to be removed from the plantation cemetery and return to Columbia to be buried in Rose Hill Cemetery. That decision, meant to bring some peace to Polly, only left her concerned when Adam Dale's body was exhumed in Hazel Green. His body was petrified and had turned dark. As one of the men working the exhumation noted, the unnatural state of Adam Dale's corpse made him wonder if the rumors were true. Had Adam Dale been poisoned by his own daughter? Elizabeth's neighbor, Abner Tate, believed that she was a cold-blooded killer, and he was one of the first people to come out of the shadows to confront Elizabeth. He started a public campaign charging Elizabeth with the murder of her husband's. Abner Tate and Elizabeth Routes were open about the fact that they did not like each other. They had been at odds many times over many things through the years. They fought over livestock from her plantation roaming onto his land. They also fought over Abner's opposition to Elizabeth taking in boarders in her home after Mr. Rout died. Went so far as to claim she was using the home for distasteful purposes. Tate publicly charged that Elizabeth had poisoned her husband's and was a danger to any man who came near her. Authorities did start asking questions, but the investigation was held up when Abner Tate learned firsthand that men who crossed Elizabeth Route did so at their own risk. On Tuesday, May 9th, 1854, the Daily Dispatch printed an announcement of the attempted assassination of Abner Tate writing that on May 6, Mr. Tate was standing on his porch when he was fired upon by someone only a few feet away. This attempt on his life, an ongoing dispute with Elizabeth Rout, would lead to one of the more interesting and controversial court cases in Madison County history. Months after Abner accused Elizabeth of murdering her husband, she would be free from the murder charges because there was no proof. But Tate kept proclaiming that Elizabeth Rout was a murderer, and she knew it was harming her reputation. So Elizabeth handled things in her Elizabeth way. The attempt on Tate's life in May of 1854 left him wounded with shots to his hand, and he saw his shooter. It was a man who was enslaved by Elizabeth Rout. Elizabeth paid one of her slaves to shoot Tate. Newspapers reported that the enslaved man, Jacob, confessed to the crime and was found guilty and sentenced to hang in March of 1855. When he confessed, he made it clear that Mrs. Rout had ordered him to do it because she was tired of Tate stirring up trouble. Jacob knew that he would die either for trying to kill Tate or for refusing to do what Elizabeth Rout ordered him to do. When authorities once again turned to Elizabeth to question her about the attempted murder of Abner Tate, Elizabeth's lover, D.H. Bingham, decided to do something to help her. 
Bingham was an educator, a few years younger than 60-year-old Elizabeth Rout. He was willing to do what was necessary to help the woman he loved, and he felt that if he could divert attention from the accusations around Elizabeth, he could harm the reputation of someone else and save her. Bingham started a rumor that Abner Tate was a murderer, that Tate had ordered one of his slaves, a man named George, to help him kill and dispose of the bodies of two men. Now, J.K. Rice disappeared after heading out for a business trip in 1841. He left Tuscaloosa and was never seen again. Charles Sawyer, a salesman from Coffee County, Tennessee, left his home in 1839, told his wife he would be home within a couple of months. Sawyer was seen making sales in Madison County and in Tuscaloosa between 1840 and 1841, but never returned home and was presumed dead. D.H. Bingham told authorities about these men and their presumed murders and said he had someone who could back up his claims that Abner Tate had killed them. Mrs. Barbara Hazel was residing in Mississippi when the claims were made in 1854, but a decade earlier, she lived in Madison County, Alabama. She worked as a midwife and nurse and had been called to work on Abner Tate's property many times. She claimed to have seen the missing men, Sawyer and Rice, with Tate and his slaves and claimed she had witnessed their murders. But her story came with one big problem. Abner Tate's defense attorney pointed out that Mrs. Barbara Hazel was insane, that she was known to people in Madison County as an unstable woman who suffered from delusions. Once the jury heard this, it was over. Tate and his slave were found not guilty and set free by the court. But he and his neighbor, Elizabeth Routes, were now living under the same cloud, the accusation of murder. Tate responded by publishing a pamphlet called The Defense of Abner Tate Against Charges of Murder. In it, he laid out why he was innocent, why D.H. Bingham had accused him. And as he put it, he revealed the true character of Elizabeth Rout. Abner Tate had a sharp tongue and did not hold back when he wrote that D.H. Bingham had fallen under the spell of Mrs. Rout, whose bridal chamber was a charnel house with six grinning skeletons hanging about. When speaking of the rumored forthcoming marriage of Bingham and Mrs. Rout and referencing Bingham's involvement in the destruction of Tate's reputation and his attempted murder, Tate wrote this of Bingham. I save for money because I cannot believe even in him any amorous passion mingled with his feverish anxiety to get possession of the hand of Elizabeth Rout. He knew her past history. He knew that she offered herself as a reward to him only on the condition that he accomplished a murder. If he succeeded, every time her lips touched his, desire must have fled in horror, as if from the cold, clammy taste of a putrid corpse. Elizabeth Rout was filled with rage when she read Abner's pamphlet. She responded with a $50,000 defamation of character lawsuit. That lawsuit 
dragged on for years. But there would be no decision in the case because Elizabeth Routes left Alabama. Elizabeth sold the Hazel Green Plantation and Mansion to a local planter, Levi Donaldson, in 1855. Now, legend says she disappeared, was never heard from again, but we do know where she headed next. Back in July of 1838, Elizabeth's third husband, Alexander Jeffries, purchased property and land in Marshall County, Mississippi. When Elizabeth left Hazel Green, she was accompanied by her son, William, and a few of their enslaved men and women. They traveled to Marshall County to begin a new life, set up a home on that property Jeffries had purchased. Census records from Marshall County, Mississippi, show Elizabeth was living in a home near a community called Wall Hill in 1860, along with her son, William, and a daughter-in-law, Sally Moore Jeffries. It's long been said that Elizabeth took a seventh husband when she moved to Mississippi, but there are no records to back that up. It's possible, but murder charges in Alabama and the press around her past in Hazel Green would make most men hesitate to marry her and take a chance, lest those rumors had been true. Elizabeth Dale Gibbons Flanagan Jeffries High Brown Rout died in Marshall County, Mississippi on May 7, 1866. Levi Donaldson lived in the old Hazel Green home known as the Route Mansion until his death there in 1874. The once glorious mansion that had been built to showcase wealth became a popular spot for vandals and some unsavory activities until a fire destroyed the home in 1968. Decades later, all the remains of the old home atop an Indian mound in Hazel Green is a trace of the foundation and a few steps. And the old plantation graveyard nearby with its broken headstones and unmarked graves of those men who called Elizabeth wife. Men who some believe were betrayed by her when she allegedly poisoned them with arsenic. The graveyard and remains of the home just one mile east of Hazel Green continued to be the subject of stories told around bonfires on those cool nights when summer is faded in Alabama and crisp fall air moves in. Someone brings up Elizabeth's name and the tales of screams heard in that graveyard. The spirits of those buried within that sacred Indian mound. The unmarked graves of Elizabeth's husbands. Apparitions of a child wandering alone in the dark, calling out for the woman who ensured this place would be enveloped in darkness for an eternity. The widow of Hazel Green. Six times she was wed at the altar of God. On her hand she wore six golden rings. And now six men lie deep beneath the sun. One mile east of Hazel Green. Southern Mysteries is hosted and produced by me, Shannon Ballard. That's Shane Adkins performing One Mile East of Hazel Green. Shane's a singer-songwriter who lives in Hazel Green. You can watch a performance of this song and learn more about his music in the show notes for this episode 
at southernmysteries.com. And if you like listening to Southern Mysteries, I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show where you're listening. Thanks to Brittany Petty for the five-star review on Apple Podcast. They wrote, very interesting. We started listening to this on a road trip across the South. I love the cross-section of stories. And thanks, Mo Frenchie, for the five-star review. They wrote, amazing professional podcast. I've listened to many true crime podcasts. One thing that really annoys me for most of them is the little talks about the host's personal lives, opinions, and political views. I want to listen to stories and learn about the people and what they went through. Me too, Mo Frenchie. That's why I keep it simple and straightforward here. Love that you're enjoying these stories and glad to have you along for the ride with Southern Mysteries. Hope you tell your friends because that's a free and easy way to help others discover the show. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be all right. We're careful.